With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. And welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Thursday, January 9th, 2014. We are now officially in 2014. And my first podcast back. So thank you so much if you're tuning in live, as always. Thank you for making me a special part of your Tuesday and Thursday night. I'm going to try to get into some interesting stuff here with my friend Josh Wiley as soon as he jumps on board with us. But first off, um, the reason for the long hiatus in the podcast, um, I actually, my wife gave birth to our daughter on the 14th of December. So that was a very intense uh, couple of weeks, uh, a lot of um, sleepless nights, but uh, it's all worth it. And anybody that's uh, had a kid or is expecting to have a kid, it is, um, it is a great and um, welcome addition to the, uh, to the journey that we call life here on this plane. So that's the reason for the long hiatus. If my voice sounds different, I actually got some new equipment for, um, for the holidays. Um, and if it sounds crappy, then I got some new equipment for the holidays. So just kind of um, getting back into the swing of things here and... Um, it has been an absolute uh, joy to see all the support that I've had from fans that um, have been eager to get the show back on track and um, listen to um, to what I've got to say and at least listen to my perspective from some point. So um, that was always nice to hear your thoughts and comments. And um, also do want to, to mention, for those of you in the activist realm, um, Adam Kokesh will be getting uh, sentencing, I think it's on the 17th, of January, for those of you that don't know, Adam Kokesh um, has been on the show a couple of times. I filled in on his show a couple of times. Was um, the gentleman that was in the uh, Freedom Plaza um, loaded a shotgun and was basically sentenced to jail for we don't know how long. So now we're in that little holding pattern that is um, that is the American um, penal system. So we have to wait and see. He's facing seven years in prison, so we'll have to wait and see what he gets. And I will keep you guys up to date on that. Um, good guy trying to do something to awaken the masses, and um, now he's got to um, to pay the piper. Um, big hats off to him. He has got some human huge huevos, and um, we're all we're all praying for you, man, and and um, and hoping for the best that. Maybe somehow, some way that the um, American judicial system will not uh, rear its ugly head on you too bad. So, 
Godspeed to you, man. Also wanted to um, talk a little bit about what I did over the holidays. Um, I had an opportunity once again to to see my daughter being born, which was an amazing uh, was an amazing feat. And uh, coupled with a bunch of lack of sleep, as I've said before, I was um, I was turned on to a um, to a supplement that I'm going to go ahead and plug on air. And for those of you that are like myself that um that typically do a lot of reading or um things that uh, take a lot of mental clarity and focus this supplement um is a is an incredible asset to anybody that is um that is looking to have cognitive enhancement as well as having some um some really good um I don't know the best way to describe it. Just really good um, symmetry between your left and right hemispheres of your brain. You will notice a sizable difference in your mental capacity, your mental clarity, and uh, and you will also have some extremely lucid dreams. And this uh, supplement is called DMAE. Uh, do not ask me to um, pronounce these words here that are on this label, but was turned on to this by a fellow activist. So I um, I take one every day. And it is a noticeable difference. So um, check it out if you want to um, if you want to enhance your cognitive process and and jump on board the uh, the knowledge train. This is a this is definitely a way to go. So that being said, I'm waiting for um, my friend Josh to uh, to give us a call here so we can start the the discussion portion of the show. Um, I saw the Chris Christie stuff. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is a new year, so typically the show was uh, laden with politics before. Um, as my knowledge base expands, I, I find politicians to be um, more of a distraction than they are useful. And um, I know saying that in this uh, democratic republic that we're supposed to have here in America would be a faux pas, but let's uh, let's face the facts. We are in a situation that has yielded um, some pathetic leaders, so to speak. And the way that our republic was set up, we weren't supposed to have really leaders anyway, just representatives of the people. And we all know how that's turned out over the last couple of years. So I did want to talk a little bit about global warming as well. As um, those of you may know, uh, I am a, a skeptic on um, on man-made global warming to the pers- or to the to the extent that. Um, the individuals are the ones that are causing the problem, and anything that I've seen, if anything, it has been giant mega corporations that are all exempt from these statutes and um, regulations that are the ones really causing the issue, because it's really easy to go after the individual, especially when it's going after people that are, let's see emotionally attached to the environment. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. I'm emotionally attached to the environment. I live here. I live on this planet with you guys. So I want to, you know, leave this planet in a, in a pretty, you know, respectable, I guess, uh, situation when I leave. So the elite and the oligarchs have, and they've talked about this since the Club of Rome documents in the 60s, have talked about how they were going to manipulate the masses to to make us believe that pollution was our problem, that it was the individual's problem and not the, the mega corporations that are all exempt, that it's, um, that it's us causing this stuff, that it's us causing climate change, that it's us causing global warming, or in the 70s it was global cooling. So 
it does become a, a slippery slope, obviously. And um, I don't want to, to trash the planet, but I also want people to understand that that it is not the individual you, um, the person driving your, your Honda to work. It is not you causing these massive catastrophes and these global swings in in um you know in our environment is not you it if anything it's mega corporations that are exempt and are offshore that that are causing these issues as well as you know governments letting them do it uh, Tempco is a is a perfect example of uh, destruction of the environment that is being uh, unregulated. Now, everybody that wants to pander and say that government is going to be the savior and the arbiter and the and the and the you know and the victor and and they're the ones that'll keep corporations straight. Well, look at what's going on with Fukushima over in in Japan and Temco. Temco has had, gosh, it has just been a calamity of errors. You might as well have the Keystone cops running that operation out there, and. And the government is supposed to be the one stepping in, you know, if you were a ideological left-wing, um, left-wing, I guess, progressive, you would believe that the government would step in and, and do something about it. Well, unfortunately now, um, corporations are the government. Corporations have more leverage than the governments ever do, and um, all the congresses around the world are bought and paid for. The UN is just a basically a steering committee, a very large steering committee for a global progression into world government. And that is not me saying that. That is not um, some kid that's running a podcast. That's what that's what their books say. That's what elite um, prognosticators tell you. That's what elite reporters tell you. And they believe it's a good thing because they believe if they centralize control, then us, the pesky civilians, the pesky parasites, the pesky dumbed-down masses, whatever you want to term yourself, I guess, that we can't do any harm to ourselves, that we can't do anything. They feel like they need to be the caretakers. And they really do look at us like a bunch of little guinea pigs. And that's why it's interesting to see people like like Ray Kurzweil come out against fluoridation, water fluoridation, because he's um, he's one for the singularity. Maybe he's got a, a gigantic ego complex and he doesn't want to die. I, I don't know. But um, some of the some of the steering committees like Google and and um, these larger corporations are really looking to to centralize control and they're looking to do it for the one percent. And all you um all you have to understand is that. Um, that the 1% is not out there looking for you, and they are the ones that are basically – they own 50% of the stock market. They control the entire world, and there was an incredible video that I posted on my website the other day, um, and it's actually on the front page. So if you go to wearenotcattle.net, you'll be able to see it. It's the first post that comes up, and it really does give you a good depiction of what the American people believes that the wealth distribution is in America, um, what they think it should be. And then the reality of the situation, and the reality of the situation, as we all know, is absolutely horrifying. Um, so I have um, I have Josh Wiley trying to message me here. Let me play a clip from Obama, and then I can elaborate on this on the back side. But this really does speak to what I was talking about before. And once again, I don't try to hammer on Obama. I'm not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. I believe that we shouldn't have any rulers, and I believe that um, we all should be able to to manage ourselves as individuals. But then again, that would 
you know, that would necessitate that we are all enlightened human beings and that we don't need babysitters. So I guess it's just the point of um, whether you can um, whether you can elevate your education level to a point where you don't need a, a ruler or an arbiter to sit over there and tell you and dictate to you what you do, or if you want to just be a, um, a stunted adolescent like the majority of the American population and go watch football and cheer for your team and not understand how the world works and not understand where your currency comes from, not even understand Africa. where We're the, gonna all not even understand where the shirt on your back comes from and how the the labor tied to that is actually enslaving people all over the world. So that's my little diatribe. Here is the clip from Obama and I'll pick it up on the backside. Africa. We're gonna all have to work together to find ways in which collectively we reduce carbon, but we make sure that there's some differentiation so that countries that are very wealthy uh, are expected to do more and countries that are still developing, you know, obviously they shouldn't be resigned to poverty simply because, uh, you know, the West and Europe and, and America got there first. That wouldn't be fair. But everybody's going to have to do something. Everybody's going to have to make some important choices here. And you know, I expect that it's going to be your generation that helps lead this, because if we don't, it's going to be your generation uh, that suffers the most. Uh, ultimately, if you think about all the youth that everybody's mentioned here in Africa, if everybody's raising living standards to the point where everybody's got a car and everybody's got air conditioning and everybody's got a big house, uh, well, the planet will boil over unless we find new ways of producing energy. So there you go. The planet will boil over. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. A little staticky. There we go. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I'm on my laptop tonight. Uh, Linux is great for a lot of things, but uh, fucking open source drivers are not one of them. (laughs) Well, as you guys have heard, um, once again, the... The fun of live radio. So, um, everybody, welcome Josh Wiley to the uh, to the podcast, um, member of the Journalistic Revolution. And um, Josh, I was um, I was just talking about carbon taxes and um, getting into that briefly, and um, and talking about how the the majority of this pollution, these carbon um, these carbon emissions that are typically delved down upon the masses, saying that it's our fault, that it's us that's doing this to the population. Um, the studies have shown that the majority of all of this um, carbon emissions, whether you believe it's uh, contributing to anthropogenic global warming or not, comes from the major corporations. So. I wanted to touch on that briefly, and then um, let's go wherever um, wherever the night takes us as far as um, the direction of the podcast. I um, I had no um, real agenda for tonight. It was just going to be uh, me getting used to being back on the air. And um, I don't know what um, what are your thoughts on the um, on 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 the gore and blood. Let's talk about that briefly. Talk about who um, who blood and gore is, and um, and why they're so um, integral in the 
in the um, in the carbon taxes uh, around the world and the and the levying of carbon taxes. You're actually going to have to fill me in on the the, the former in, in that in that dy- dynamic duo because I'm actually not familiar with that. What's that? Uh, blood and gore. Oh, or blood and gore as a phenomenon. Are you are you referring to like an actual group uh, named Blood and Gore? Yes, I am. The ah. the carbon ah, trading group by Al Gore and his partner. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I knew Al Gore had a had a carbon credit sw- or carbon credit trading uh, company, but I was not familiar uh, that that was the name. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's fairly fitting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Al Gore's partner on the carbon trading exchange is um, a gentleman by the name of Blood, and their um, their carbon trading um, uh, monopoly, I guess you would call it, is called Blood and Gore. But anyway. Um, so we can just skip on that, but that was thought that was obviously a, a funny springboard. What um, so what do you make of what I said before, where it's the top 50 corporations in the world that are really producing the majority of this um, this carbon emissions? And like I said, whether you believe in anthropogenic global warming or not, explain to the audience why it typically gets pushed down to to the masses and and makes it look like it's the it's the masses challenge. And it's it's all our fault that these things are going on. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think at the, on the face of it, that's uh, that's fairly obvious these days, uh, especially as, as as so many state forces uh, combine with the, with these uh, pseudo corporate factions uh, to, to to really pack the, the the citizens of of every nation in the world into oblivion. Uh, now that being said, this certainly is not a new phenomenon. Uh, though I was not familiar with the name of of the firm, I do know that Al Gore has been uh, essentially trying to set up a, a, a carbon, carbon credit trading scheme since the mid-90s. Uh, Ken Lay over at Enron, uh, Enron actually, before they went under, or before they uh, were, uh, were, were saved by, uh, by uh, the, the horrible event known as September the 11th, when all, that, uh, all the inf- information and the investigation against them uh, w- you know, went down literally in, in flames, um, Enron was working on a, on, a, on a weather derivative scheme, very, very similar to the carbon credit trading scheme. So we can see that there's a long history of, of corporate America essentially trying to <laughs> criminalize the weather and profit from it. Um, so to, to, to institute a, a sort of taxation system for that is, is really just the other, the other end of the, or the other side of that fascistic coin. Right, and and as we all know, and as I was just um, discussing before you came on air, the um, the Club of Rome was a, a a gathering of the intellectual elite that said that they needed to start basing currency on energy sources, and this is what you and I have talked about before. So I don't want to pound it into the ground, but um, the carbon emissions is a is a measurable, or at least they say it's a a measurable energy byproducts. So in essence, they could get their, um, their goal of having an energy-backed currency by utilizing the carbon trading system and the carbon emissions, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, this is, it's older even than the Club of Rome. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, when, uh, was it John Ruskin or Thomas Malthus uh, who, who said, uh, the, who, who posited the theory that, which isn't true, by the way, that, that human population expands exponentially. No, that and, was Malthus, yeah. Yeah, was Malthus, and food only arithmetically, at the behest of the Dutch East India Company, not, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's been a, a push for a very long time now um, to, to, to limit human population through, through any means possible, 
despite you know all of this information that we have now um, to the contrary, uh, and all of the wonderful leaps and bounds that we've made technologically, uh, it, it's it's very sad that we've got we've got a small cadre of insiders that that want a lot of this planet for themselves, and that they're clearly willing to go to to, to any kind of ends to to accomplish that goal. Absolutely, and the reason that we're getting into I wanted to um I wanted to talk really about the the overall power structure of the Anglo-American establishment. And that was one of the topics for the show tonight. And uh, are you there? It sounds like we got some different audio now. No, no, I'm I'm still here. I don't know what it is, you man. You got some kind of clicking going on. It sounds like um it just might be a bad connection. Can you call me can you call me right back? I'm going to add you to the call again. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, I I highly doubt it'll be any better, but Yeah, well, let's right. let's give it a run. Yep, okay. I'll be right back. Sorry, folks, live radio. But um, what we're going to get into is the Anglo-American establishment, and we're basically going to use the foundations of um, Carol Quigley's work, uh, Tragedy and Hope, to explain the Anglo-American establishment, what brought it on, how it's, how it's actually ballooned into a basically a, a merger between a couple of different city-states. And so now what we're facing as a population um, not only the 1%, but understanding the um, the very small um, ruling elite of the 1%, and that's what we're going to try to get to the bottom of tonight, is the, um, is the really, really um, – one second. I'm sorry. Welcome to um, – welcome to the live broadcast. Hold on one second. I will um, – I'm going to play some music here real quick, guys. I'm going to try to get Josh back up. Having some technical difficulties. Well, oh, here we go. Okay, are you there? Uh, I think so. Okay, great. Now, all right. So, I was um I was briefing the audience um kind of resetting here, briefing the audience about what we're. This is just going to be a absolute cluster. But uh, welcome to my first podcast of 2014, everybody. So, I knew I was going to be a little rusty, but I didn't think it was going to be this bad. But uh, anyway. Um, Josh and I were going to – I wanted to get into the Anglo-American establishment, Josh. I wanted to talk about um, the power structure. We can obviously use tragedy and hope as a, as a guideline for our discussion and also to, um, to get the, the listeners into or cued in as far as um, how not just the 1% works but the 1% the of the 1%. So the ruling oligarchs, the people that actually issue the currency, the people that have uh, controlling shares in over um, – I think the Rockefellers have controlling shares in over 50 of the Fortune 100 um, corporations. And everybody says, well, that's just good business. Well, if you look at how they were all set up, it, it's not just good business. It's uh, it's monopolies. So um, anyway, let's um, – Let's dive into a little bit of the um, Anglo-American establishment, and we can even start with um, let's start with the, the very basics. Let's start with the um, let's start with um, what do you think? Uh, Last will and testament of Cecil John Rhodes is a good place to start. Oh my goodness, I would actually start a little bit um, before that. Okay. With, uh, you know, with uh, where where Cecil Rhodes is is kind of inspired um, by the dream of the Anglo-American uh, establishment. Right. Okay, that's that's fair. Okay. Yeah, I, I just think it's important because, you know, there, there's this ideological lineage uh, that, that Rhodes kind of inherits while he's in college um, from... Oh, and Wasn't I'm that Carnegie? Wasn't it Carnegie that, that came up with the, uh, the original plan and then he kind of, um, he kind of offshooted it from, from Carnegie's um, 
dream and then took it a step further by utilizing his wealth to set up the uh, educational systems uh, around the world? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's certainly an aspect of it. That, that takes place a little bit later. Okay. Uh, um, what I'm referring to is, is uh, the, the connection between Cecil Rhodes and John Ruskin okay. at university. And John Ruskin, of course, being a man who espouses this philosophy uh, very similar to many philosophies of the time. I think uh, social Darwinism certainly plays an aspect here as well, mm-hmm. that, that the Anglo-American culture, specifically the British culture, uh, is, is so morally superior and genetically superior, because then due to Darwinism, we now have the, the, the pseudo-biological uh, uh, justification for this philosophy, really. Uh, John Ruskin says that the Ang- the Anglo-American Empire should be extended to all corners of the earth, and and Cecil Rhodes, as a student, uh, you know, really takes this philosophy to heart, as we can see later on in his life. Uh, what once he gathers uh, essentially enough wealth and power to 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 establish that that dream, that that original dream of John Ruskin. Mm-hmm. And and the way that they did it was um was using the model of the of the secret societies and and using because secret societies have always existed. Whether you look back to um, I mean just look at if you want to call the shaman of the of the ancient civilizations if you want to call them the secret societies, but um, they typically were because they were the ones that had the knowledge. They were the ones that were astro theologians. They understood how the um, the summer and winter solstice worked. They understood um, you know eclipses, so they were able to utilize their knowledge to manipulate the masses, and then bring about the the kind of command and control that they desired. Would you say that that's a pretty good parallel to to what um, Cecil John Rhodes did with the with the Rhodes Roundtable? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he he copied the structure of the Bavarian Illuminati, the rings within rings structure, to a T. Um, because it impressed him so much, yeah, you know, he, he, he only thought, this is the great foresight, I believe, of, of the Rhodes Roundtable, is that they realized that these secret societies uh, rise and fall, occulted information or hidden information uh, can really only stay hidden for so long. Uh, especially as you start to expand if you have lofty goals. And I would say that Cecil John Rhodes had some lofty goals. You know, this is a guy who wanted to essentially uh, create global governance, uh, take over the world, really. Uh, crazy imperialists, these guys, you know, real modern-day pirates. But, you know, obviously this dream is still alive and well. And part of the reason and, and the brilliant foresight of the Rhodes Roundtable was that they, they would have to essentially show, them, show themselves publicly at some point. Right. Uh, which is referred to as the revelation of the method, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is why the Rhodes Roundtable, very early on in its life, established public front groups. Uh, now, now the intention of these public front groups, uh, groups like Chatham House in England, um, the Council on Foreign Relations here, later on the Trilateral Commission, right. mm-hmm. you know, you know, this this myriad of groups, and obviously uh, a lot of tax-free foundations play it play into that uh to an immense degree uh from the 1920s onward really yeah um, through the and and if you want to learn about that guys just look at the reese committee hearings and and find out what role the um the tax-free foundations play in um in your modern um intellectual slavery yeah there's a there's a fascinating uh, interview on youtube with uh, norman dodd who is the chief researcher for the reese committee yep. uh and and he essentially gave an interview with g edward griffin um 
mere weeks before his death, so it, it's incredible that that information got out there because it could have been lost to time forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, I, I truly believe that the brilliance of, of the Rose Roundtable is that it does have a public face. The Bavarian sure. Illuminati uh, had no public face. Uh, Freemasonry, uh, in its earliest days, had somewhat of a public face, but but it was shrouded in complete and utter mystery. Right. Uh, whereas the the Rhodes Roundtable has a public face and has a public function. It's certainly not the function that most people are told, uh, but it does it does function. Uh, these these institutions do function uh, in a in in a somewhat benign manner, as it would seem on the surface. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go, no, continue. Oh, that, that, that's really the thesis that, that, that I wanted to, to, to bring up there, because it is important to understand uh, that these people are hiding in plain sight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is, uh, which, which is the brilliance uh, of the strategy, really, because if you can convince people of unrealities, if you can convince people that the Council on Foreign Relations is, is simply this, you know, rather benign think tank that simply advises policymakers as opposed to, to setting policy itself, um, which is what the majority of the American people believe, if they've even heard of the Council on Foreign Relations at all. Right, and then they have a, a website that even talks about how they strive for global governance, and they just basically put it all out there. But then, then you have um, you have people that have never looked into the information, that have never tried to to delve into why all these um, things are going on and and what has happened to uh, American politics, and, and what has even happened to the the laws in our country. There was an excellent video that I saw online, and it was um, – I think it's called um, 30 Things That You Didn't Know About America. And it gets into a lot of the um, the the laws and the um, – basically the contracts that are in place with America and other nation states that go back even to, even to England. And it's very, very um, important to understand that they – people can say anything on a television. But what matters is, and Josh knows this very well, what matters is what's, what the law says, and not only what the law says, but what the contracts say. So one of the contracts is um, stated to be that the United States – and um, here we go. We're going to go down the rabbit hole, everybody. Um, strap in. This is going to be a lot of fun. So there are three city-states in the entire world that um, that really do have controlling power over um, currency and capital, and those three city-states would be um, the uh, obviously the Washington D.C., the city-state of London, and the Vatican, which, by the way, is its own city-state and has its own bank. Which the if, bank. If was, I'm not, go I'm ahead. Sorry, if, if I'm not uh, mistaken, I believe that Hong Kong. Uh, no, is no, that also. is. Right, that's a city-state as well. And but um, as far as as far as the way that they set up the the banking centers in order to, and you'll see where I'm going this with this in a second. As, the, as far as they set up the banking centers to be outside of the governments, but also within the um, within the same country. So, for example, the Vatican Bank was established right after World War II, and that was the arbiter of the majority of the of the gold that came from from Germany after World War II. Now, the Vatican Bank has um, it has actual um, accounts with every nation on the planet, um, save two nation states that don't have accounts with the Vatican Bank, and that would be the United States of America and, um, this, and London. But if you look at that a little bit deeper, the 
private Federal Reserve, which runs the United States and uh, issues currency and credit for the United States, and the Bank of England over in uh, London, or excuse me, in the Bank of England in England, actually um, are private banks as well. So they're holding companies for those specific entities, and from what I've studied and from what I've, um, I guess, read and researched, the Vatican utilizes the the proxies of the Federal Reserve as a private banking group, and the Bank of and the Bank of London as a banking group as well, to fill the gap of the two cities st- or the two nation states that do not have uh, accounts with them. So they do vicariously have accounts with the Vatican Bank, but um, through trade agreements, they um, that's how the money is funneled from. The private Federal Reserve to the Bank of London, and then by treaty to the Vatican. Um, Josh, do you care to comment on that? Well, I mean, I I I, I hold this as true. It's very very difficult uh, to quantify the, this this theory for people, simply because most of the documentation on it is either very very old and arcane, mm-hmm. or non-existent in the modern age. Sure. Uh, thank, thankfully, we we do have whistleblowers like World World Bank whistleblower Karen Hughes. Uh, who really uh, kind of uh, posits this theory in the modern age and, and says, you know, fairly quantifiably that the, the coffers of the Federal Reserve and, and the vast majority of income tax in America uh, goes in part or directly to uh, the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I have that clip right here. Let me see if this is it. I, I believe that this is the clip. So bear with me, everybody. Government shutdown. Is the move on the part of the Republicans justified? Is fighting off Obamacare worth all this mess? I think there's something more going on behind the scenes. Oh, A wait. lot more, actually. Flip. What do you mean? Well, clip. Here we the go. The problem the is not with the American citizens. They are a wonderful group. Their values are good. It's just that they're not given the tools that they need to have a just society. They're not given the basic information about what is really going on and who's benefiting from the, um, the economies that they're being told. They're being told that they have no money. Uh, they have taken an entire uh, city, Detroit, and declared it bankrupt when what's actually happening is their tax dollars are not even staying in their society. Their tax dollars are going by treaty to the United Kingdom and then they're being transferred to the Vatican, to the Bank of the Vatican. This is not a society that's going to be sustainable on any basis for any reason. Okay, so there you go. That is a clip from, as Josh said, Karen Hoods, who is a World Bank whistleblower. And for those of you that don't know, the World Bank is um, it is about three steps down in the in the pyramid of um, international banking. And um, she found out this information and came to blow the whistle because um, she understands that um, what we're going through and, and, the, and the issues that we have here in America, it's not that we don't produce enough goods. It's not that America doesn't work hard. It's none of that stuff. It's that we're being robbed, and we're being robbed in broad daylight. It's absolutely astonishing that people don't even care about where their money comes from or where their money goes. What are taxes? Who gets those? It's kind of like when I tell people that Ronald Reagan's commission back in, I think it's called the Grace Commission, um, back in his, um, his administration back in the early 80s, they found out that 
all of your tax dollars, everybody, every amount of income tax that you pay to the IRS, none of it goes to pay the principal on the debt. All of it goes to just pay the interest on the debt that we get from the Federal Reserve. If you want to understand why Josh and I hate the Federal Reserve with a passion, that is one of the many reasons right there. So, Josh, go ahead, man. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there, and you you raised some interesting questions that I think every American needs to start asking themselves. Unfortunately, you know, not not enough to do in this modern age. But if if we really want to get down to, uh, I hate to use the term, but brass tacks about this, um, we how dare we, you use a sustainable commodity? <laughs> we we really we really do have to talk about sustainable commodities. We have to talk about real wealth. When when Ron Paul confronts Ben Bernanke and asks him if he if he thinks gold is money and silver is money and, and real assets can function as money, and Ben Bernanke says that you know we use these as economic indicators as canaries in the coal mine, but we don't uh, we don't view them as money. He's lying through his teeth. Uh, you know the, these central bankers still view these traditional assets. As, as money and as power, more importantly. Uh, during World War II, uh, when Adolf Hitler uh, you know, start, and the Third Reich started their imperialistic expansion, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that these people did, besides stealing uh, and looting of fine art and secrets of government, gold. they stole gold, and, and not only gold, but silver as well. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little-known fact that, that they went after silver just, just as uh, voraciously as they did the gold. Uh, some countries uh, w- were a little bit crafty, uh, such as France, uh, in sneaking their gold out of the country. But at the end of the day, uh, we, we really don't know where, where that gold ended up um, because it's certainly not in France anymore. Uh, so so as, if we're looking at gold as a, as, a, as a power structure and a power construct in the 21st century, then we really have to ask ourselves where the gold is. Um, certainly uh, there, there's a lot less in ETFs and, and municipal funds that then we're being told, you know, if we if you are a holder of paper, gold, and silver, uh, you, you you might want to uh, call it in and, and take possession um, because you may come to find that when you need it, it's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, we we see this with with Germany repatriating its gold and the Federal Reserve essentially telling them that you can't have it. Um, no, but you can look at it, Josh. You can be in the same room with it, but you can't touch excuse it. me, you can't touch it. You can look at it through the window, but you can't touch it. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's really uh, Germ- Germany will be surprised and shocked to find uh, that they received they will have received a lot of tungsten. Uh, as, do you as think that that's what it is, or do you think I think it's a hologram? I really do. No, I, I don't. I, I don't think that they would spend uh, that much time, effort, and money uh, when when you know simply gold plating tungsten bars is, is is incredibly cheap and incredibly easy. Uh, that you know, this is this has been a form of counterfeiting gold for for centuries. And that it, was a big scandal back in the '80s, wasn't it? The the counterfeiting of tungsten bars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's resurfaced uh, it, it just uh, very recently. I believe it was 2010 or 2011, where a man in New York City, buying from a very reputable gold dealer, uh, was curious about his bars and drilled through one of them, only to find that it was filled with tungsten. You know, this is a hundred uh, or a one kilo uh, bar of gold. Uh, which, which is a significant purchase. Wow. Uh, yeah, and and I wouldn't be surprised if this is that this isn't happening. Uh, you know, in in more places. So if you are a holder of physical gold and silver, uh, you might want to test it chemically, uh, weigh it, uh, make sure that it's the real deal. But but we really getting back to this to this point. Um, if we realize that the Vatican has taken the the Bank of the Vatican more specifically has taken possession 
uh, of a large deal of, of the gold that, that was stolen by the Nazis, uh, which is why um, these, these gold-stripped countries of Western Europe were so uh, willing to accept the Marshall Plan from America and also the Bretton Woods Agreement, um, simply because they realized that they could trade uh, their currency for dollars and in turn for American gold until the collapse of that system in 1972, um, we, we have to ask ourselves in the, in the 21st century, who owns the gold? Uh, now, people like Karen Hughes uh, state that, that Fort Knox is empty, but America has, has secret gold reserves in places like Hawaii, uh, which, again, is very hard to quantify, but, but may certainly be the case. Uh, we see that Western Europe and, and many South American countries are starting to try and attempt to repatriate their gold, um, but, but that's not working out so well for them. We have China now mining gold and silver mm-hmm. at a loss. Yep. They're mining at a loss. Uh, I, I believe it was 200 tons this past year, uh, on top of the 1,000 tons that they purchased. Uh, so we see this massive wealth transfer, real wealth transfer, uh, fr- from west to east. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what does this ultimately mean uh, for, for global economies? I'm not entirely certain, but something is cer- something big is going on, and and, and if you if you want to weigh in on this and, and, and shed some light on the situation, I'd appreciate it. No, one thing that I did want to bring up, and I'm going to pull up the article right now, and it was um I think it was on Drudge, like right after the first of the year, and it was um I'm looking it up right now. Um, dump, excuse me, guys. Uh, and it was um it was. Yeah, here it is. It was a Newsmax article, and it talked about um, the top billionaires are dumping all of their stocks. Um, Warren Buffett dumped a lot of his stocks. George Soros. It says Warren Buffett dumped um, 27% of his consumer product stocks. Um, George Soros, who was um, who was selling off all of his stocks at the end of the year. Um, and on the other hand, was was buying gold and land since um, 2012 uh, like crazy. That really does speak to what you're saying, Josh. Is that people are are leaving the stock market because the stock market is extremely overvalued, and it's not really a um, an indicator of economic um, economic prosperity the way that the mainstream media sells it to people it's oh the stock market's up yeah like gas is four dollars a gallon but it doesn't matter the stock market's up well the stock market was up in 1929 also yeah absolutely it was cranking you know you know happy days are here again that kind of stuff you know yeah never mind that real unemployment is at 25 percent youth unemployment is 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 climbing up to 50 percent you know uh labor labor force participation rates are at an all-time low in this country mm-hmm. uh, um and, and it's more than that because not only have these billionaires exited the stock market and mass in the past six months but warren buffett has also taken a very very large uh position in some gold mining companies right. um so, so so it's more than just the physical and, and I, I really, I'm glad that we, we, we got to this point because I, I really wanted to talk about this tonight with you, uh, Jake, is that when we talk about economic collapse, uh, when we talk about uh, devaluation of the dollar or the potential loss of the dollar's world reserve currency status, sure. which would be devastating for the American economy and, and, and really the, the, the global economy as a whole. Um, we, well, that's what Brzezinski said in his book, that no country is really ready to take over the reins of being a superpower. They're, oh, of they're, they're financially, they're either financially enough, they don't have enough income per capita. I mean, and that's not, once again, that's not me saying that. That's a, that's a very, 
very high-level insider um, that basically cherry-picked Jimmy Carter. From what I understand, they cherry-picked Jimmy Carter to be a frontman for their for their regime and just basically let Brzezinski run the uh, run the entire show. Oh, mo- most certainly. Uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski is an interesting character, but we we can potentially leave that for another day. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's continue because I did want to I did want to touch on that 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 everybody says well. I mean, it's not just us saying that that there are no really viable countries to step up. These are people that that live, eat, sleep, and and breathe this stuff. That say in their publications that there is nobody really willing to step up. And if America collapses, then the global economy goes with it. And and that's in essence what he sums up in in that book is that uh, America has to survive at least for a little bit longer in order for um in order for us to at least have some sort of international world commerce. Uh, absolutely. You know uh, all these countries, you know, And I'm not Alex you- Jones saying that nukes are going off or anything like that everybody. This is actually legitimate um philosophical research and also um economic data will also back me up on a lot of these statements that I'm making. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we we hear a lot about China and their their uh their hypothecation and purchasing and mining of gold and silver, uh, their their willingness to disseminate that information to the public, mm-hmm. which is very different than America. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you turn on CNBC and, and gold and silver are supposedly dead. Uh, now, with all that being said, China's, uh, the renminbi and the yuan are in the exact same situation as the dollar with, with M1, M2, and, M, and M3, mm-hmm. which are essentially their form of quantitative easing. Uh, real estate in Hong Kong and Shanghai is up nearly 20% per month in the past three months, right. uh, w- w- which is just dumbfounding. But he- here's, here's what I really want to touch on, uh, is that when, when guys like Gerald Salente, world's top trend, for- trend forecaster in my opinion, Eric Sprott, who's one of the, the, the most prolific gold and silver investors on the planet, and John Williams, not the composer, but John Williams of st- shadowstats.com, uh, all of these guys are, are, are excellent at reading the markets and, and reading into the future, but they're also usually very apprehensive about calling dates for, for stock market uh, collapses or, or potential crashes. Mm-hmm. And all of them say within quarter two of 2014, and if not by then, certainly by the end of the year, uh, there will be some kind of either potential revaluation of the dollar or at, least, at the very least a stock market crash uh, maybe not to the magnitude of 2008, but something that will shake the United States economy at the very least to its core. Um, again, uh, the, these are predictions, and, and we, we really never know when the other shoe is going to drop. We don't have a crystal ball here, folks, but we're trying the best we can. And when, when three prolific forces like that say that 2014 is a year where you need to watch out, I, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm prone to, to kind of uh, understand that. And on top of that, we have this. We have essentially what is it, a 30-year trend uh, of new Federal Reserve chair chair people. I guess we have to call them chair people now, right? We can't call them chairman anymore. <laughs> sure. And she's just the scapegoat. She's the fall guy, and I think that she understands that. She, I mean, she even said before she she got nominated that she's going to push the accelerator down, and and keep um and keep quantitative easing moving. And it's. You know, this is the part of the Keynesian model, if you've ever taken any economics class, this is the part of the Keynesian model where everything starts to suck. It's just, it just happens because you're starting to print money. You're starting to put more and more money in the economy. And, but what happens is you have a simultaneous loss in confidence, and that's 
Josh, you and I well know, a Keynesian model of economics could go – or monetary system philosophically could go on forever. It could theoretically go on forever as long as there's confidence in the system. But if you lose confidence and you have the printing of money or the injection of of capital and currency into the marketplace, then you're basically watching a ticking time bomb because what's going to happen is people will start hoarding money, and then their hoarding hoarded money will start losing value, and then that's where you're going to run into the big catastrophe because you have to have constant cycles of spend and exchange in order for the Keynesian model to really keep up and not devalue at extreme rates, especially when you're um, when you're buying eighty billion dollars worth of um, of bonds per month, but whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the case. Uh, and, and getting back to this, to what, what has become almost a, a 25-year trend, uh, when Alan Greenspan uh, became the Federal Reserve Chairman in 1987, we had the 87 stock market crash. Um, of course, Ben Bernanke came in in 2008, and the first year of his chairmanship, uh, we had the 2008 crash. Um, so, so it's it, it's essentially uh, become a pattern that the banking cabal essentially tests their new chairman uh, or, or chair people uh, during their first year of tenure. Uh, so, do you I think it's do you think it's a test or do you think it's a a changing of the guards so that they can blame the former regime and that everybody will kind of keep their head down and their feet moving? Oh, I, I think that that's absolutely the case. You know, I, I don't think that these people do anything without multiple motives in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, cer- certainly, all of these uh, these these booms and busts uh, reconsolidate power and and and, and have a merging of, of of not only corporations but corporate and state power, um, which is very important to note. But but when we talk about Keynesian economics that you mentioned earlier, the saddest and scariest thing is that. John Maynard Keynes, if he were alive today, would be appalled with what's going on. And this is the key difference between neo-Keynesianism and Keynesianism. At the very least, John Maynard Keynes said, if you're going to print all this money, you have to put it into public works programs, right. you have to put it into war, you have to put it into something that will create real wealth in terms of you know, infrastructure, right. or destroy infrastructure, so you have to rebuild that infrastructure. That's not what we have at all today. We have a system where we essentially move cash around, to quote Alan Greenspan. Well, uh, we, we had that system for a while when we were invading Iraq and things like that, but now what's happening is the population is so tired of war because you've had generations upon generations of people that they've all they've known is perpetual warfare. So that that part of the market is going to start winding down, and now they're going to have to look for um, another um, a, an, another thing to pump all this money into. And and what you and I have talked about many times, now the shift has gone from from the war machine. Now it's the security state. Now that's what's going to come. That's where all the money is going to go into cybersecurity, going to go into locking us down, keeping us safe, those types of things. Creating and fomenting um, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, which was admittedly created by the CIA, and um, as well as uh, MI was it MI6 that also created that. So you you have intelligence agencies from from different different nation states creating funding and and training in some instances um, radical Islamists to create a to create a a boogeyman, so to speak. 
so that they can they can profit here in America. And that's one of the things that um, I saw an article uh, just the other day where it said that um, uh, a top Al Qaeda leader um, was found in Syria, and he was um, he was a detainee at Guantanamo Bay. So Guantanamo Bay, Americans think of that as a prison system, but really it's a it's a manufacturing facility, almost like a an MK Ultra facility, where they can wind up a quote unquote Muslim extremist, turn him loose, and then they create the actual they create the actual um, cannon fodder that they want. They create the the crisis that they want, and that's the crisis of Islam against Christianity, the war of um, the the war of the two two religions, so to speak. Oh, most certainly. Uh, you know, this is is part of that Hegelian dialectic uh, where you're creating the problem that that uh, that you will someday fight uh, to, to usher in uh, your desired predetermined solution. Um, and this is the thing that's so key is that you mentioned earlier that that during the Iraq War we did have massive creation and destruction of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as the the creation of the digital panopticon in the form of uh, these these massive data centers mm-hmm. is technically a form of infrastructure, albeit one that is uh, incredibly detrimental to, to, to the rights of American citizens mm-hmm. and global citizens, in fact, um, we, it, it, it can't replace war. Uh, you know, war is the ultimate, Keynes, the ultimate end of all Keynesian, uh, Keynesian theorems, uh, because you, to, to have such massive wealth creation, uh, you, you eventually have to have wealth destruction, either in the form of uh, of a of a stock market or, or dollar crisis or war, and when we look at on sovereign debt uh, debt based uh, balance sheets of, of nations, mm-hmm. uh, we see uh, and and Kyle Bass has done a lot of great research on this. Uh, you can look up his his articles and lectures on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, is that we the the not only America but 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 many nations are essentially spending and creating debt as if they're going to war and not just not just a skirmish a large war right and and when we when we look at what happened uh, this this past fall with the Syrian conflict uh, which most certainly would have turned into a knockdown drag out with with Russia and potentially China sure. uh, in the region you know we have so many trigger points for, for global conflict we've right. got uh, you know the Senkaku Islands we've got the Middle East we've got uh, the, the the rise of the Golden Dawn party in Greece uh, this, this fascist movement, you know. So we, we've got all these potential flashpoints, but and this is why we're we're so backed into a corner. Because if we if we call out these wars like the American people did with the Syrian conflict and said we don't want this, then essentially what you get is is, is a dollar crisis. Right. And and if you don't call it out, then what you get is war. Right. So we're, you're we're, uh, we're painted into a corner. Hold on one second. We got a we got a we got a caller here. Hold on. Let me pull him up. I have no idea who this is. Caller, you are on the air. I hope you're enjoying this um, this banter between myself and Josh Wiley. How you doing? Oh, I dropped the caller. I know what that was. All right, I think that that was a uh, another call. Hold on a second. So anyway, continue, Josh. We're we're really painted into a corner. Yeah, absolutely, and and this is something that, that researchers like James Corbett of CorbettReport.com have talked about, and I certainly agree with, uh, is that I really don't believe that we will see um, at least the, a dollar crisis. We may potentially see a stock market crash without some kind of large false flag event, um, but I really don't think that they can pull the wool over the American people's eyes 
in, in terms of a, a dollar crisis. Um, because these people are, are masters of shirking responsibility and blame. Uh, so it, it would surprise me greatly if there was a revaluation of the dollar and the loss of the dollar as the world reserve currency without some kind of large false flag event. And a false flag event that uh, would essentially not, not only uh, get, get these, uh, these, these crooks in Washington and the Federal Reserve, um, get, give them some kind of uh, you know, out to, to this horrible situation that they've created, but, but one that could potentially be large enough to, to justify the usherance in of, of, of world governance, or at least a, a world currency which, and, and a global taxation system, which is essentially global governance. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of challenges that we face right now. And, and like I said, this, was a, um, this is my first podcast back, so I'm sorry for the, for the rough beginning, but I think Josh and I did hit a couple of pretty good crescendos or at least give you guys some ideas and things to think about. Now, as far as the Anglo-American establishment goes and what, the, what their role is in, these, um, in this power block, in this power cell, so to speak, we, um, we look towards um, the new pope. And, and that's what I look towards because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of clamoring for him. There's a lot of um, I, I've never seen a pope be so hyped, and maybe it's just because the media is um, is uh, is so um, readily available now. I don't I don't know what it is, but Josh, just briefly, let's touch on who this guy is and and his significance. In um, in the role of global governance and and how I believe that he's going to leverage his um, political following into something like you said, if we do have a serious false flag or something like that, that he will be able to rally the Catholics into getting into something that um, the Catholic religion, which doesn't Catholicism mean universal, that they have been pushing for a very long time since the uh, since the days of um, of Constantine, for the most part. Yep, you're, you're absolutely correct, and and Catholic does mean universal. Uh, the, this is this is an area that it's so important to talk about. Uh, at the same rabbit time, rabbit hole time, everybody, rabbit hole. Here comes the big. This is the big rabbit hole. Enjoy. And I, I don't mean to uh, to offend any of our listeners out there who may be people of faith. Uh, I uh, am certainly to some to some extent a spiritual person. Uh, but but I certainly don't believe in organized religions. I would go so far as to say that the vast majority of, of, of the Bible, specifically Revelations, is a form of predictive programming. To get, now, let's, uh, let's be specific here. Explain to the audience your, your enlightenment to that specific side of the information and talk about, because most people are going to hear this guy and say, oh, well, he's never read the Bible. So give them a little bit of background of your, of your biblical endeavors first, and then um, the revelations that you had, no pun intended, but play on words intended definitely, um, re- later on in your, in your adult life. Well, you know, as a, as a young man, I, uh, I, I certainly investigated a lot of these religious aspects because I, I believed so much that, that, that I wanted justification for them. Sure. Uh, so, I read, so I read the King James Version, uh, which, uh, <laughs> you know, it raised a lot more questions than it answered. Certainly, and then I read uh, the Bible translated directly from Aramaic into English, uh, which I recommend any person of faith do uh, because it's a it's a it's a very different text than the one that you're used to. Um, and, and investigated a lot of world religions, the Buddha Vakana, uh, large aspect of the Quran, uh, you know, Eastern and Western religions. 
and, and there's a there's a huge difference between Eastern and Western religions, uh, but specifically as it relates to Revelation, um, we we have uh, what's what's essentially a prophecy uh, based uh, upon you know the the, the the coming of the end times, uh, in which the final solution for Christians is the rapture, to lay down arms, to to not resist because there's an external savior coming, coming to liberate you. And, and once you kind of investigate the, the history of, of Christianity and the history of the Gnostics and, and astrotheology and, and shamanism uh, and how, how Jesus is, is far more of a metaphor uh, than, than, a, than an actual person, he, he's a metaphor for enlightenment uh, and for truth, for consciousness. Um, so if the return of Jesus means the return of human consciousness and truth to our population, that has massive ramifications for, for people who are waiting for an external savior, a physical person, to come down from the heavens and save everybody. Um, so, you know, and we, we, I don't know if we want to get into all, all the history of astrotheology and shamanism and, 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 how, and John M. Allegro's work on, on Jesus being an allegory for, uh, for, for Amanita Muscaria, the mushroom cult. Um, which is very interesting. You know, John M. Allegro is not some, uh, some crackpot. He was the top investigator on, on the Dead Sea Scrolls team. He was one of the leads, uh, lead um, uh, philosophers and theologists uh, on Aramaic. He had a scholar's grasp of it, which is why it's so difficult to kind of follow his work, because <laughs> obviously I do not have a scholar's grasp of, of Aramaic. Sure. Um, but, but if we do take his research uh, to heart and, and we contrast it with people like, um, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, G. R. 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 Gordon Lawson, mm-hmm. who posits a very similar theory at the same time, but says that the Christ figure was an actual historical figure. Uh, but but he, wasn't R. Gordon Lawson? Wasn't he funded by the? Um, wasn't he funded by J. P. Morgan? Well, not only was he funded by J.P. Morgan, but we now know uh, through declassified CIA documents, thanks to the research of Richard Grove at Tragedy and Hope and, and Jan Irvin over at Gnostic Media, we now know that R. Gordon Lawson was uh, on the CIA's payroll as well. So not only was he the lead propagandist for J.P. Morgan, but he has... A bona fide disinfo agent. Absolutely. So we have to ask ourselves, why is Lawson taking uh, Allegro's research and tweaking it just a slight bit to, to justify the, the physical character, the physical, actual, historical character of Jesus. Which uh, would tie back into our slippery slope of the Vatican having <clears throat> the majority um, of the wealth on the planet and also um, having leverage over the United States and the, and the Bank of England. Absolutely. So when a lot of these things come to pass, you know, when Babylon is set ablaze, uh, which, which it has been over the past 10 years in the form of the Iraq War, uh, and, and some of these things come to pass, and you know, I, I, again, I'm not a church-going guy, but uh, I do uh, have have a lot of family in the South that are incredibly religious, and uh, you'd be hard pressed to go into a Southern Baptist, Catholic, uh, even Universal Church, um, or, or non-denominational church, and not find someone talking about the end times uh, as they pertain to today. Sure. Uh, this is this is a meme that's being spread uh, throughout religious communities. And again, if the solution for these people, some of the most rebellious people in, in the form of Southern culture, if the solution is to lay down your arms and wait for Jesus, I, I got news for you, man. Like, he, he, he can potentially come back if you realize that he's truth and he's consciousness. Right. right? Or, or, if, or, or if the CIA decides that they're going to oper- you know, activate Operation Bluebeam and project him up in the heavens, then absolutely he's coming back. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the fleshy Jesus, which, which was really established by Constantine in, in 325 AD at the there Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. uh, this is <laughs> one, of the, one of the greatest works of predictive programming in human history. And it would really behoove uh, people listening, if you are of faith, to, to not only read your own damn book, because I found that a lot of them have not, um, but, but read multiple interpretations of your book. Uh, read, read uh, you know, contrary works like, um, like Karen Armstrong's A History of God, and then go into the, the more controversial aspects, like, the, like Astrotheology and Shamanism by Jan Irvin, um, like The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross by uh, um, John M. Allegro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are all in very, very important texts to, to read to understand uh, that, that Revelations truly is predictive programming. So if Revelations is predictive programming and the universal church sits, a, sits at potentially the top of the power structure, then we have to realize that, that the Vatican will play an, an, an intimate role in, in the usherance uh, of, of global governance. Ta-da! Into the rabbit hole, everybody. Yep, here we are. <laughs> All right, so anyway, but that was fun. Um, and yeah, we actually should do a, um, we should do a show on astrotheology. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And um, we could probably get Robert Wasman on the show for that, too. Uh, I'm sure we could all have a very good discussion on astrotheology. It'd be very fascinating because uh, it breaks my heart uh, to, to, to think that, that, that Robert and, and our good friend Matt Dalton, my co-workers over at the Journalistic Revolution, they do believe in the fleshy Jesus myth and to a certain extent uh, believe in the potential for the rapture. Now, they're, they're certainly not going to lay down arms and be pacified, which is, which is great, and I think that that's probably the most important thing, is that you, sure. don't, you don't stop resisting this global power structure. And, and they're certainly not overtly religious people. None of them believe in any given church, right? Right. But, but to believe in the myth of, of the fleshy Jesus and, and, to, and to believe in the teachings of Christ and not spread the word in terms of truth, because ultimately that's what Jesus that's said. That's what Jesus said, you know, exactly. focus on finding truth and not... Yeah, yeah, anyway, don't worship false idols, have no gods, have no have no lords, you know, that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's that's a pretty good spot for us to end on, man. And um it's it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and um we'll have to uh, we'll have to do the astro theology bit sometime soon and that will um we'll we'll get some uh, we'll see if we can get some other people on the podcast and and uh, take some calls. Um, I'll, I'm actually going to open the phones up next Tuesday. Like I said, this was the this was the dry run, everyone, for um, for 2014. And um, in the dry run, Josh and I took you to the bottom of the rabbit hole on a couple of different places. But um, we got there relatively quickly. But if you want to do um, here, let's give people some just some source items really quick. So if they want to do some more research, they can. We went through them very briefly, but. Um, uh, Allegro's work, um, the Magic Mushroom and the Cross, is that the name of it? The, the Sacred Mushroom. Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, sorry. Um, let's see, uh, what's, a, what's a good one? Um, Tragedy and Hope is obviously a good one. You can find that one on my website underneath um, Books to Read. It's underneath the Things You Should Know tab. You can go down there. It's free online. It's a downloadable PDF, and you can take it anywhere you want and read it at your leisure. And I would also... Um, Let's see. What's uh, what's another good um, piece for them to read, Josh? Oh, oh, a history of God, which you're supposed to send me, by the way. Yes, a, a history of God by Karen Armstrong. And if you're not into the reading, uh, I would highly recommend uh, either watching or listening to Astro Theology and Shamanism, mm-hmm. uh, which is on you, which is on YouTube. Um, and if if you can't get if you if that video is a little bit too esoteric for you, and you're more into uh, the the research about uh, you know the CIA and 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 
and state power and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just search tragedy and hope, all one word, because it's the name of this YouTube channel, and then MK Ultra, you're going to find a video with Jan Irvin, Kevin Cole, and Richard Grove discussing MK Ultra, discussing uh, R. Gordon Wasson and his kind of shady history with J.P. Morgan and the CIA, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's really important to, to understanding, uh, you know, the genesis of a lot of these theories. Absolutely, and what I'll do is I'll go do I'll um, I'll put those under things you should know on my show. So uh, after we get off the um, after we get off the air here, Josh, if you want to shoot me a couple links of other videos that you think people might um, might enjoy, I'll um, I'll put together a um, I'm going to do this from now on. Everybody, my New Year's resolution is underneath my um, my show uh, notes from today's show. I'm going to put links to all the all the books that we mentioned. Also going to put links to all the videos that we mentioned, so that you can go to the We Are Not Cattle homepage and make your life a whole lot easier. And once you listen to the podcast, if you want to find uh, specific articles, we talked about books, uh, videos, audio clips. They will all be there at the click of a mouse. So making your life a little bit easier and um, just trying to spread some information. And once again, trying to get you out of the um, out of the one track mind thinking, as well as trying to get you away from the status quo because. Um, that's one of our biggest challenges that we face currently is the, the status quo is dominating at this point. Um, I would say um, a better part of 60% of the population are entrenched in the status quo. And um, it's up to us, the people that, um, that at least have a, an intrigue or a, um, a, a craving for this knowledge, a craving for you know, things like the trivia method, to, to get out and, and try to engage people and, and give them other alternative um, ideas and give them alternative um, sources of media so that they can expand their horizons. And once again, highly recommend that you take some DMAE. Um, just take one tablet a day, just check it out, see what it does for you. Uh, obviously consult your physician because I'm not a physician, but um, it, uh, it for me has been, um, it's been absolutely uh, unbelievable. Josh, um, you're the first person that I converted to get on DMAE. What, what can you tell the audience about it before we go? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up before we end it because it's a fascinating supplement. Um, uh, when I initially took it, I did notice a, a few effects, but, but it really does take about a week to start building up in your system. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm actually up to about 750 milligrams per day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, so two, 500 milligrams in the morning and, and 250 milligrams in the evening. Mm-hmm. And, and not only does it, uh, it, it tremendously improve your, your focus, your recall, um, but I actually noticed uh, an, an incredible effect the other night that, that I told you about, Jake. Yeah. Is that uh, typically when I'm when I'm reading articles or I'm reading podcasts or, or reading podcasts or listening uh, reading articles, you I'll be absolutely destroyed the plug right there. But go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, but but as I'm as I'm reading articles on online or reading a book, I'll, I'll typically have a podcast playing in the background, um, and and you know you'll you'll kind of tune into one and then tune back into the article and and, and you know that 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 sort of thing. Uh, but I noticed that I was reading and listening simultaneously and retaining both, yep. uh, which has never, ever happened to me, uh, multitasking on that level. Um, but, but it's certainly possible with this supplement. Again, it might not be for everyone. Uh, I did experience a, a couple headaches as I was uh, initially taking it because it is a central nervous system stimulant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if you're looking to, uh, to improve your focus, improve your recall, and, 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 and really multitask on a, on a level that you've never experienced before, then... And you need to check out DMAE. 
And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're going to be all about this stuff because this will really, once again, it really does help um, sync up the two uh, hemispheres of your brain. And like Josh says, it'll take about a week. But if you don't take it, like I didn't take it for two days, and there was a profound difference, not just in my mental clarity, but uh, in my recall. It's also, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like um, my my best description for it, people, before we go, and then I'll let Josh give his best description, even though what he said was really good. Um, it would be like if you went out drinking the night before and you had one too many beers, uh, that haze that you feel the next morning where you feel like you just need to sleep another hour, that's how I was normally. And then once I started taking DMAE, it was like I was dead sober every day of my life. So it was, uh, it was a, a noticeable difference and not like in a steroid type of way where you're all hyped up or anything like that. It's just the increase in clarity and um, verbiage um, comes very quickly and you can formulate sentences and you can formulate cogent thoughts very quickly and uh, just overall great supplement. I, I highly enjoy it. Yeah, I, I would say that it is um, Adderall, if anyone out there has ADD or ADHD and, and has taken that. Um, it's, it's a lot like Adderall, only with, with none of the negative side effects. None of the jittery jitteriness, none of the, the sleeplessness, none of the cotton mouth, none of the loss of appetite. It's simply a stimulant for focusing for your brain. And, and, and in that regard, it's, it's an excellent supplement. And it will give you absolutely crazy dreams. <laughs> that too. Very vivid dreams. So, all right, well, that's it for the show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We did go over a little bit tonight, but um, thanks to my guest, Josh Wiley from the Journalistic Revolution. You guys can find, when's your, when's your show on again? Is it Wednesday, Friday, Sunday? Yes, su- Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. I'm typically on on Sundays, occasionally on Wednesdays, uh, but I recommend you listen to, to all three of them. Uh, the other during the weekdays, uh, Matt and Robert like to do more of a read the news kind of format and opine on it, which has which has its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but on Sundays we like to get into topics like like we get into on on your show mm-hmm. and really try and narrow it down to, to one specific topic. Uh, earlier this uh, this year, or I guess it was the last week of December, we did a show on uh, on Jonestown, uh, which was which was fascinating and uh, sooner. Very soon, we're going to be doing a show on um, on Henry David Thoreau and his article or his, his famous essay on civil disobedience and how it relates to the modern age. Oh man, that's actually what I was listening to before we get started tonight. <laughs> and you guys can find that on YouTube. Once again, I'll link that in the show notes as well. So, once again, thanks everybody for listening. Um, this has been We Are Not Cattle Radio. Tuning in every Tuesday and Thursday night, nine o'clock p.m. Uh, once again, trying to get everybody informed, get a friend, and get involved. Uh, let's try to change the world here because if we can just get people thinking on a different level and having different conversations rather than just the status quo, I think we'll be um, in a lot better shape and we could possibly avoid some of the disasters that Josh and I talked about. Once again, not trying to fearmonger anybody, but um, we do face some real challenges as a species, so we just need to um, acknowledge those. Uh, try to decipher how we can change it and then execute and move forward. So thanks again, Josh, for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Tune in next Tuesday, 9 o'clock. I'll be here, and um, we're going to have open phones for the last half hour. So once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. Peace out, everybody. Oh, you deserve it, you're-
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.